0: Monica, who is going to introduce our speaker for this evening. Hi, my name's Monica, and I'm an alcoholic. I'd like to thank you all for coming and being here with us this weekend and participating. Um, I've had the privilege of being the speaker chair for the last three years. This year, we have a really powerful speaker. I had been hearing about this woman for like a year and I just kept hearing boozer this and boozer that. (laughs) I will give the disclaimer, I got permission to use another name. And I'm going, who is this boozer chick and who has a name like Boozer? (laughs) You know, we're all alcoholics, this does not seem right. Anyways, so I was in a meeting and uh, my friend Paula goes, "Uh, you gotta come meet Boozer and I'm going, there really is a boozer? I need this little pepper pot, littler than me, and I'm really short, right? And she's got all this passion about alcoholism and recovery and saving the world from this disease that's trying to kill us all. And I'm going like, whoa. What do you have, six months? You're too excited, you know? You're on fire. And she goes, uh, no, I'm going to be having my 29th year anniversary, like, this year. And I'm going like, Yay. Anyway, so I had to, she asked me to introduce her and I thought I had to come up with words to describe her. One is passion. She still has that passion after 29 years to help the alcoholic in need that's still suffering. Integrity, honesty, commitment, love. All these great things, but the one that really stood out was courage the courage to to attack this disease every day with the same passion and emotion and honesty and integrity. So I have three husbands and they were all in the military. (laughs) That's where I get the honesty, the integrity, and I get mixed up with the slogans for all of them. (laughs) So I'm just gonna say that she's a very courageous, powerful, wise woman. She's part of our primary purpose group. We meet weekly in Smith River um, on Thursday nights. And um, we, we go to the book, and she went, oh. And the big thing, how we got together, is her passion for prison work and jail work. So we've got a whole group of women going in. She's part of our team, um, really active at the prison. And I'm. it's my honor, it is my honor to introduce Miss Cindy B.
1: Let's get this party started. (laughs) I have arrived. (laughs) My name is Cindy, I am an alcoholic. And yes, my last name is Boozer, and it is on my driver's license. Uh, But I want to thank the committee for believing in me because this is such an honor and a privilege to be here tonight. This is the town where I made the decision to retire and where my kids can drop me off with ashes out at Enderts Beach. And so they don't have to even get out of their car to do that. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Last year, if anyone was here last year, um, when they went to do the countdown, there was a young man who stood up with 24 hours at your meeting. And um, I have a great honor to ask Corey to come up and get his one-year coin. program really works. And looking around tonight, I see a lot of faces that I knew uh, throughout my recovery, you know, they're going to have to keep me honest because they were, some of them were here when I first got here, and they couldn't recognize me, and some of them got to watch me grow in this program. Uh, but I get to start at the beginning and go forward from there. Uh, a lot of you don't know me, and um, by the time you're done here, you're going to know me. <laughs> I only have one story. I can only tell it one way. And um, I was born in uh, 1957. Please do not add that up. <laughs> I, was bo- I was born heroin addicted, and I had fetal alcohol poisoning. And at six weeks of age, um, children's services were called to a home where there was an infant, a two-year-old, and a four-year-old left abandoned in the house. And, uh, that uh, infant was me, and my two-year-old brother and sister. And uh, I don't tell you this to, to blame my alcoholism. That has nothing to do with my alcoholism. But it has a lot to do with my quirkiness. Now, I'm a little quirky. My sponsor likes to say I'm effervescent. Uh, <laughs> but I'm a little bubbly. And it's all a direct result of... of, of coming to grips with who I am as a person. And I tell you this tonight because of the fact that I'm as sick as my secrets. And that secret I just told you was the one thing that kept me sick inside these rooms and outside of these rooms all my life because I put on so many masks to uh, hide who I was. I didn't want you to see my learning disabilities. Uh, My birth defect doesn't show, so I I can hide that really well. And I can fake it, and I can do a lot of things to hide it. And if I do that, I'm not being honest with myself, and I'm not being honest with you. So I got that out of the way. I got rid of the fourth step issue of scariness. So from there on, uh, I tell you kind of um, a little bit about myself is throughout my whole childhood, uh, my parents hardly could find me. I was uh, behind the couch uh, spitting on a comb and combing my hair. It's kind of ironic, in recovery, I became a cosmetologist. Uh, (laughs) But I don't spit on combs, promise you. Probably never spit on any combs after that. But mm, (laughs) I felt very, very isolated. And and in growing up, uh, I went in search of it. I was 11 years old when I found out I was adopted. Uh, And I went in search of my real parents. And both my parents are still doing heroin and still doing alcohol and they're both pedophiles so I came into a mess and, and um, it caused a lot of issues with me and um, when I came home to my adopted parents I did not get any help for it and what I did is I made a decision at 13 years of age to go the same path as my parents and the first time I made a decision on my own to take a drink I was 13 years old and I, took, I drank a, a gallon of spinata wine, a quart of Colt 45, and I did my first head of mescaline. I, as far as this goes, I am an avid sixth tradition person. I will tell you, all I am, is that I am never chemically prejudiced, and that's as far as I go with that. <laughs> so I spent my whole life uh, trying to hide the fact that I'm a little quirky and try to um, live my life. And at 32 years of age, I weighed 82 pounds. I lived with no running water and no electricity. I traded it in my kids' food stamps for 50 cents on the buck, and they were in custody. And I wasn't allowed on my parents' property, my adopted parents. Uh, and um, I could not breathe in and out anymore and feel the way I felt about myself. And if if there had been any other options at that moment in my life at 32 years of age, uh, a man to take care of me, a girlfriend to let me sleep on her couch, uh, my mom to give me a food box, you would have a very different speaker here tonight because I had to have all my options taken away from me. I was living out of Dipsy Dumpsters, and uh, I... Uh, Weighed 82 pounds, and I could not function as a human being anymore. And I put myself in a detox center at that time down in Medford, Oregon. And they put me in a little padded cell and told me um, that if I didn't die in three days, they'd give me a meeting list and they'd, um, I could use that. And uh, when I did the three days detox, I got out on September 10th, 1990 and I have not found it necessary to take a drink since that day. And I got that little meeting list, and I was a tough broad, I have to tell you this, and I was a makeup-wearing tough broad, and I wore, uh, all I owned when I came into the program was a black leather jacket, a pair of Doc Martens, and something that covered a little bit of me. And uh, I walked in to the High Low Club in Grants Pass, Oregon. And I did not get a feeling of, I'm home. I got a feeling like I walked into some kind of Martha Stewart nightmare. (laughs) And I sat in the back of the room with my best tough broad attitude, with my arms crossed, and I hated every single one of you. You were laughing and smiling And you were living your lives, and I didn't know how to do that. But because of my defects of my mental capacity and my alcoholism, I have a hard time letting people touch me. And that day in that detox center, I said my first honest prayer. And it wasn't even a word. It was just a careening. And I just got on my knees, and I just careened. And I cried out. And he relieved me of the, the obsession to drink that day, and he also knew that I had to let you people hug me. And so he took that away from me, too. So I only let people from Alcoholics Anonymous hug me. And so, uh, <laughs> but I would walk the streets of Grants Pass, and I'd pass the Owl Club, in and uh, they'd see me walking down the street, and they'd say, where are you headed? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to one of them head-bobber meetings. You guys were head bobbers. (laughs) At about 10 days sober, I was sitting in a room at you head bobbers, and uh, there was this little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, looked like a Barbie doll. And uh, she was talking about the things I wanted to take to my grave with me. She was talking about not feeling smart enough, not feeling pretty enough, not being good enough. And those are things I couldn't share with you, and I caught myself doing this. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: and I became a head bobber that day
0: <laughs>
1: and I asked that little girl to be my sponsor and I didn't ask her to be my sponsor because I was brimming with love and I found home but I thought I could just take this program from this little girl because that's all I did in my whole life it was how do I con, cheat or steal from you and I just thought I could take this program from her And uh, she was tough as nails. And uh, she had me doing things that I had no business thinking it had anything to do with being drunk. You know, she told me I had to wear pink to a meeting. I hated her. But I am a rebel with a cause. And I went out and I got a pink Carly shirt. Her next little gift to me was that I had to come to a meeting without makeup. And I was a makeup-wearing tough broad. And uh, I really hated her for that. And the ladies from the High Low Club are here tonight, I can tell you that, that most of them, most of them, there was a little lady with a, uh, with a walker that would walk behind me when I would be doing my service commitment of pouring coffee. And uh, she would walk behind me because she was afraid I was going to bend over. So I was I was a sick child when I walked in here, and um, but this little sponsor she dragged me through the steps and it was real easy for me to take a look behind me, you know, people like normal people I'd watch Oz, Ozzy and Harriet and Beaver Cleaver no that's the way I was living was not normal, you know because when I had I gave birth to my children I looked down at my little girl and I thought oh she's gonna grow up and be a prom queen. I'm going to go to PTA. I'm just going to love her. We're going to wear matching clothes. And then 16 months later, I had this little boy. I said, you know, he's going to be a football star. I'm going to go to all his games and, you know, what I should have done was look down in those little kids' eyes and tell them that I'm going to teach you to do what I did. And you're going to live with no running water, and I'm going to trade your food steps in. And i want to put my drink in ahead of you. And, and, uh, in my first year of sobriety, um, my sponsor told me that, that I had to um, get a higher power. And I didn't want to trust a man-God. So I made a decision that I get to pick my own, so I'm going to talk to Mrs. God. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, a lot of things happen in your first year of recovery and you're trying to, to clear up the wreckage of your past because my children were in custody and my parents wouldn't let me on their property. And I had stayed in this little trailer behind somebody's in the program's house that had a Harley shop and Grants Pass. And um, you know, I was still sick. I was still sick. And I, and I still had a lot of issues that I had to deal with. And my sponsor, she, um, she had me doing things like uh, taking a look behind me, looking at the wreckage I caused, and uh, knowing, knowing in here. I don't know if, if you know that wind tunnel. I had that wind, wind tunnel. that The only thing filled that was alcohol. And now I have that wind tunnel, and what do I fill it with? You know, and I knew that I didn't live the life that I should have. I knew I didn't treat my children right. you know. Um, so that first step was real easy for me. I was powerless, and I was unmanageable. So that was real easy. But that second step, the insanity part of it, I didn't get that because I couldn't. It to the fact that I was insane because I put mental illness with insane in the same package. But in reading the big book, in The Freedom of Bondage, the book in the, back, the story in the back of the book, and it talks about the the um, insanity of trying to explain behaviors that are insane with a logical reason, and that's the definition of insanity for me. And now I could accept that. That was easier to take than insane. I don't know why, but um, <laughs> it's a wonderful part part of that book that helped me tremendously. It's in uh, Freedom from bondage in the Big Book of Alcoholics and Arms. And uh, while I was working on my second step, children's services came along, and they wanted to take away my parental rights. And my sponsor told me I had to get a citizen suit and show up in court. And so I went down to the Goodwill, and I got this little, little dress and high heels, and I showed up in the Grants Pass courtroom. And I looked around the room. There's a red courthouse, green, blue, I don't know. And I was trying to find my name on the docket. And I went into the restroom because, you know, makeup had to be perfect. And uh, there was a group of kids coming out for a school field trip to see the courtroom. And they were giggling and they were laughing at me. And I thought it was because I was trying to walk in high heel shoes because my sponsor wouldn't wear my Doc (laughs) Martens. So um, I was, uh, and I stood in line, and I couldn't find my name, and I was standing there, and there was this good-looking attorney come up behind me. And he says, uh, ma'am, he says, uh, can I give you some free legal advice? Yeah, sure. And he says, uh, before you go see the judge, you might want to take your dress out of your pantyhose. <laughs> Those are the things I drank over. And at that time, they still had pay, phone, pay phones. And I was just humiliated. And I was going to tell that little sponsor girl that this program didn't work. You know? And on my way out of the courtroom, I picked up that phone, and I called that little blonde-headed sponsor. And I said, I have just been humiliated. And she says, isn't it great? And she yay! Yeah. What are you talking about? I was humiliated. She said, yes. Walking around that courthouse with your dress tucked up in your pantyhose is humiliating. But when you stopped and you picked up that phone and you called me, that was being humble. And I didn't have to drink over that situation. My fourth step, my third step, is right here. My third step is why I live in Crescent City today because Mrs. God quit working. And my sponsor told me if I didn't get a bigger God, I'd drink again, and that really scared me. And I'd been over here to Crescent City from Grants Pass a few times with other people to go to meetings, and we would go up to this meeting in this schoolroom room up these crickety-o stairs, and it smelled like mold. In Ninth and I, I don't know if anybody's mm-hmm. been in the ninth and I, but that's where I went, and I met this old man And he was three days older than dirt, and I thought he met and shook God's hand. And he was the most spiritual man I'd ever met. And I got in my car, and I drove 89 miles, because I'd given this guy a ride home from the meeting. And I knocked on his door. And I don't know what impresses you, but at that time, what impressed me was that he remembered my name. And I asked him to help me get a God. And he said he would. And he took me over to Enderts Beach, and we sat on this picnic table. And he says, "Why? Are you, what are you so afraid of about turning your will and your life over care of God? And I said, uh, you know, I got my own kids loaded. I can't forgive myself for that. How can I think God can forgive me? He says, well, where did you get your idea of a God? And I said, well, it was either a hallucination or a dream. But it was like I went through a turnstile at Disneyland. And I walked into a church. And they told me the story of my God, and he opened his eyes. And I found out later that's at Nosberry Berry Farm. So I must have been there as a child. <laughs> but that's who I had to turn my will and my life over to. And so he said, Cindy, look around the beach and find something that would depict what you have to give to God. And I found this big old rock. And I said, that's what I have to give to God. And he says, well, why don't you pick that up and follow me? And I looked around the beach to make sure no one was watching me follow this old man down the beach carrying this rock because my look good still had to look good. And so I'm carrying this rock, and he's just talking about the ocean and God not doing the tides, and nobody can do that. Now, he did his third step, and it was just spiritual. And I'm carrying this rock. And I said, Lou, I can't carry this rock anymore. And he says, well, what are you going to do with it? So said, I'm going to let it go. He says, that's how you give it to God. What he did was he said, I had to talk to God in my own voice. I couldn't use the the and there outs because that's not how I talk. And so I got down on my knees and I wrote this simple little letter to God on the beach. And it said, like, yo, God, sorry about all the stuff I did. Love, Cindy. You know, and (laughs) after I was done writing my letter, this old man got down on his knees And he did the third step prayer with me. And I'm not gonna say I had a burning bush experience, but what I did have is that my whole life had been a colander. I could just go next, next. I used to come too married, so it was real easy for me to go next, next, next. (laughs) So, um, but it went in there and it stayed. And we were sitting on this log and we were watching this ocean. He says, he said, I just got this vision. He says, I want you to come with me tonight to this candlelight meeting up in Brookings, Oregon. And it was at some art center. And it was a candlelight meeting. He says, and then I want you to come back and sleep on my couch and get up in the morning, and God's going to leave you a gift on the beach. And I looked to see how far away my car was parked, because he's going to nuts or he's a pervert. (laughs) Because God does not leave gifts for people like me on that beach. But I followed through. I learned that in these rooms. So I went to that meeting in Brookings, Oregon, and I shared about not being a Net Funicello. And uh, I wished that God would leave me a gift of a sand dollar. And I did. I went and slept on that man's couch. I got up the next morning, and I wrote him a thank you note. And I was just going to go home. I was too afraid to find out there wasn't a God. But like I said, follow through is real important in AA. So I went back down on that beach and all I know, I don't know anything about the ocean, but when I got down there, I knew somebody had moved the beach. It was what they call minus tide, had no idea. They just moved way out there. (laughs) Totally different beach to me. And I got down there when there's thousands of sand dollars all over that beach. That was my first real miracle in Alcoholics Anonymous, that there's a God and he was there for me. Because in my early recovery, what my gratitude list and my miracles were, was that I had toilet paper and it didn't come from a gas station. (laughs) That I wasn't growing science projects in my refrigerator. Those were my miracles. But after I'd done that third step, I went home and I called that little bubble-headed blonde girl. And I said, you know, I nailed my third step. I'm ready. I'm ready to do my fourth step. And she said, well, we've got this outline. It's coming from Southern California. And she says, it's really an intense fourth step. He says, and you have to give it to somebody who's done it previously, and we're going to get a woman up from Southern California to listen to your fourth step. Are you willing to do that? And I said, yeah, I can do that. And um, so I did this huge, intense fourth step. And when I was done... I called her up, said, I got it done. She says, well, we can't get a woman to come up and do your four-step with you. Would you be willing to give it to a man? And, uh, I don't know how, uh, how good my recovery was, but, you know, uh, I said, okay. And I showed up at her house, and there was this beautiful man standing there. And I hugged him, and I whispered in his ears that if he repeated anything in my four-step, that a body part would be missing. That was before Bob it, so I came up with it first. And he laughed. He says, you know, I felt the same way. He says, he says but there's going to come a time in your recovery where you're going to have to share your fourth step with another human being if it means for them to stay sober. And I thought he was pretty nuts. But it has come to pass. There is nothing in my fourth step that I wouldn't share one-on-one with another alcoholic in order for them to to stay sober even if it's just for one day. That's a miracle. So I spent 36 hours in this room with this gentleman. And the people from the program were bringing juices and fruits for us to eat while we did this. And after I was done giving this four step, out of that four step comes your character defect list. And your nine step lifts. Mm-hmm. So I had those already done, you know, and, and I think I'm moving on. And he says, um, So after I was done doing this, we burnt my four step. We went down to, uh, what's the park in a, Grants Pass? Riverside. Riverside Park, yes. And we went down to the boat landing. Wow. And he had me build a, um, a little fire pit. And all the people came to watch me burn my four step that would come <laughs> on and brought food. So I'm sitting there and I put, get the fire going and I put my first page and my four step in there and a duck came up out of the water and sat there the whole time I burnt my four step and he was no further away from me than Christine down here at the end. The whole time I burnt my four step, just watching. And so I go back to that park when I'm in town and I feed the ducks and I walk around going, are you my duck, are you my duck? (laughs) So people probably think I'm pretty crazy too. So, <laughs> it comes time for me to get my one-year coin, and that beautiful bubble-headed blonde girl decided she was going to call my adopted mom and say, "Your daughter's getting her one-year coin tonight. I'd like you to give it to her." And I hadn't seen her; I wasn't allowed on her property. And I came to my 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 birthday meeting in Grants Pass to get my one-year coin, and my mother was standing there, and. Uh, she stood in the middle of my home group, and I uh, had, had an opportunity to do a night step with her right in front of everyone. You know, She didn't deserve a daughter like me. She had to wonder if it was the jail of the more calling. So many times I'd stolen from her. I was not a good daughter, and she adopted me. You know, And she said, just stay sober, Cindy. And uh, so far, I've been able to keep that promise. You know? And she passed away with me um, doing that. Um, staying sober one day at a time. And um, as soon as I was done getting my one-year coin, that wonderful, bubble-headed blonde girl told me I had to get rid of my leather jacket. I fired her. (laughs) I still have that leather jacket. It's hanging in my closet. I might be able to get one of my arms into it. You know, but it's there to remind me, you know. Because some of my defects have a lot of character, ladies. (laughs) And we do grow in recovery. Because when I walked through the doors, I weighed 82
0: pounds.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, if there's anyone here tonight that your children are in custody, I'm here to tell you if you stay sober long enough, They make you take them kids back. (laughs) I had teenagers from hell. My children will never, ever, ever ever have me have a bumper sticker that says, my kids are the student of the month. (laughs) Even to this day, I have a son in jail. And I'm grateful. So when it came time to find my new sponsor, I looked around the rooms, and I was still scary back then. And, um, there was this lovely little Irish lady who talked with a little Irish lilt, little pixie woman, wore paisley to the meetings, and pumps. She, and uh, I did not think I was good enough to touch the hem of that lady's dress. And it, 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 they had smoke breaks back then. And she came up to me at Smoke Break and she says, Can I tell you something? And I like, sure, you know, you know, she says, You know, you have really pretty eyes. And I've never loved a woman more than I have in my whole life. And that day that that lady told me I had pretty eyes. And I asked her to be my sponsor because I wanted to learn how to be a lady. So I hope tonight a little bit of her shows through. She couldn't be here tonight. She's trying, but she couldn't. Um, but I had her for 27 years. Um, when I came to do my sixth and seventh step, you know, a lot of that has to do with that onion peeled back. And um, like I said, a lot of my defects have a lot of character, and I still like to hang on to them, because I don't let go of anything without leaving claw marks. So in working through that, having that list of my defects, um, it reminded me of a story, because that's how I learn, by stories. And this helped me a great deal with learning why I do some of the things I do, is that there was a story of a gentleman who liked the end cut of a pot roast. And his wife always cut it off. And he says, why do you do that? I like the end cut, all the spices and the juiciness. He says, says, that's how my mother taught me to cook. So he went to his mother-in-law. He says, why did you teach your daughter to cut the ends of the pot roast? She says, well, that's how my mother taught me. So he went to the grandmother. He says, why did you teach these two women to cut the ends of the pot roast off? She says, well, I don't know why those two do it. I did it because I didn't have a pan big enough. So that's a lot of my defects, watching other people and trying to emulate them, and it was actually bad behaviors. (laughs) In working through that eighth and ninth step of making that list of people I needed to make amends to and making direct amends to them, a lot of mine were um, faceless, nameless people. A lot of them were passed on. And this wonderful sponsor taught me wonderful gifts of how to do that without the person being there. I had um, been kicked out of my grandparents' funeral, my grandmother's funeral, because I was too drunk. And I felt a lot of guilt and shame over that. And so um, my sponsor had me go down to a a nursing home and find a lady who didn't get visits. And I sat in her, I read the paper to her because she couldn't read anymore. And uh, that was my way of making amends to my grandma. And, uh, my dad, my adopted dad, uh, when I tried to make an amends, him, don't always work out. Uh, he always thought that Alcoholics Anonymous was a place where we could come and drink, and we wouldn't tell on each other. <laughs> that was the anonymous part of our program. I'm hoping that today he knows that this is something sober. And I'll, uh... In working with um, other people, I've had opportunities to take a lot of ladies over to Interspeech and share that third step. Today, I get you get butterflies. Can't help it. Get nervous. And um, I took two of my H&I warriors down to um, Enders Beach today, this morning, and and we did a third step together with my new sponsor and my friends from H&I. And um, it was a wonderful experience, because I can tell when I'm in my sixth and seventh and I'm I'm working out of a uh, defect or a shortcoming, I can always tell. Because you can walk into my house, and the smell of pine salt and bleach is so thick, and my curtains haven't been drawn in a few days, and I'm having a he said, she said argument go on in my head. And it's just like a gerbil wheel going. And I say, I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say that. and, you know, and um, So it helps me stop, drop, and roll, and go do a third step. So if, you're your th- if you find yourself working out of character defects again, no, once I get my third step down, I can come back and ease out of that, and so my house doesn't smell too much like pine all today. <laughs> when I was out there drinking, I had an Irish setter, and I ended up uh, starving it and putting my drinking ahead of it. So uh, that was on my fourth step. So my sponsor says you got to get another dog and treat it like you would, and, uh, you know, uh, see, I am single, and uh, I still, I I look pretty sexy in flannel for my bulldogs. (laughs) And I've had opportunities to travel all over the United States. I've been on TV showing these dogs. I have champions and grand champions, and, and they're my hooligans, and I get to go home to those who love me so much. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful experience, being able to make a living amends to, my, that, to that dog. You know. When I was working on my ninth step, I, uh, I got a blanket from my mom. My mom took a quilting class, and she was up there in age. And, so, and it was beautiful. It was one of those granny star patterns, mauves and blues. And I was just starting to work on my ninth step and I, and I what a wonderful gift to get that, that beautiful blanket from my mother. And I put it on my bed that night, and I crawled into bed, and I instantly got a poke. <laughs> What's that? And uh, since my, grandma, my mom was older, they put layers and pin it in between. She forgot to take the pins out. <laughs> so... I got a chance to take a pin out almost every night for a year, (laughs) and it would be like that nameless, faceless person that I owed money to that I never knew who that was. And I would, I would. There's my ninth step. So that was my ninth step blanket, and I can tell you from experience that you know that blanket looked real pretty on the outside, but there's a lot of pricks. You know? So I had a lot of nine-step work to do, you know? and in my 10-step ten ten step, um, uh, seeking prayer meditation and re-evaluating where I'm going in my life, in my 10-step, to take a look at not just what I did wrong today, but what I, what I want to do, a goal pattern for me. And I, was, I, had, I had opportunities to um, take a look at where I was last year, and where I am today. And I kind of do that every year on my birthdays. Where do I want to be next year? This year, I was in my backyard with a fire pit going and some crazy old ladies sitting around a campfire doing s'mores. And it was a fun time to be had by all us cackling old broads. And we had a great time. And I just loved that. And I can't wait to do it again next year. And so that's something that I put down in my 10th step. So some goals I'd like to do and some things I'd like to work on in my life is, is like Monica clearly pointed out, I'm very, very active in H&I. And um, I go into Pelican Bay Prison and I go into the women's jail here. And it keeps me passionate for AA. And if you have an h i program in your hometown, I highly recommend you sit in on the, on the committee because it has um, taught me so much. You know, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Pelican Bay Prison. Um, it's a it, it's, it, it's pretty rowdy little bunch in that cr- crew. And um, the first time I put in my clearance, it, had, it takes a couple weeks to get cleared. And so what I did was I watched every lock-up, I could get my hands on, too. I was going to find out what I was getting myself into. So I show up in B Yard, which is one of the sharkiest yards in America, and I get in this room, and I'm looking around, and I'm going, this is not what they prepared me for. And so I'm sitting there, and the guy who's chairing the meeting, he made a decision to do his chair on, when did you realize you hit a bottom? And so I'm sitting there and there's this young boy. There's the kids, I thought they were just babies. They're little kids. And he, he was all tattooed up and he was like, I thought he was like maybe 25 years old. And he says, it was his turn to share about how he hit a bottom. And he goes, when I realized I hit a bottom was the day I went to court stand before the judge to determine whether I was eligible for the death penalty. Wow. And my mother stood up and asked the judge, if you take my son out, can I be in the room with him and hold his hand? Because I brought him into this world, and I want to be there when you take him out. And he said, that day, that look in my mother's eyes made me change everything. He says, since I've been in Pelican Bay prison, I have been an honor student. I've gotten my college degree. He says, I attend these meetings regularly. I get on a victim's impact panel, and I am giving back to society. And because of these new SR, whatever those are, to get the kids with life without possibility are getting a chance to have that taken away if you were a minor and you went down. And so to get in there on the ground floor with these men who have a chance, have a hope to get out. Some of these men will never get out and they're working this program. My goodness. In working my 12 steps, that's part of it, I'm also a uh, GSR for my home group. I am a treasurer for my home group. And so I do a lot of service work. And it was very, very much recommended by all my sponsors. Because um, <laughs> anybody who's new and starting out, just getting their fresh little sponsor, be careful what you say to your sponsor. I, I, I'll give you case in point. My sponsor was very good at telling me to do things. And there came a time in my recovery where I got some health insurance. Didn't have that before. And I didn't. I never really wanted to share this at podium level, but I found out I had to have all my teeth pulled. And I, oh my gosh! I got I, I can I'm. I'm old. And she says, "Go share about it in the meeting." <laughs> so I went to a meeting. And I said, you know, tomorrow morning, I'm having to have all my teeth pulled. I feel old and ugly, and nobody's going to want me. And uh, about 15 people in that meeting pulled their teeth out for me. <laughs> I'm not going to pull my teeth out, but... <laughs> let me know I wasn't alone. That same meeting, you know, I, I... <laughs> I like to tell the ladies at the High Low Club that I was in the entertainment business when I came in the program. And I got a little embarrassed about being in the entertainment business, that my sponsor says, what did you want to do when you grow up? I said, I wanted to be a cosmetologist, just "So do the footwork. So I went back to beauty school and um, raising two kids, Hellions, and trying to work at Blind George's selling popcorn <laughs> and going to school. and. Um, it was, a lot of, it was a lot of expense, and when I graduated from beauty school, they told me I had to go take a test up in Salem. And uh, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the money. And, and sponsor, go share about it at a meeting. So I went to my home group, and I said, you know, life is so much like being on a merry-go-round, and you're never going to catch that brass ring. You know? and, that elusive butterfly one more time. You know, I did all this work. And behind my back, that meeting passed a hat. It was $150 to take your state board tests. And there was $150, and that that, um, hat had a note, and it said, God created butterflies, and he can help you catch any breast ring. Go take your test. And so I went up to Salem, and I walked into this room, and the state board test was all computerized. And I'm computer illiterate. And I sat down at this computer and I took this big, huge test. And if you don't pass this test, you have to pay all over again and go back. And as soon as I was done taking the test, a big D came up on the screen. And a big lump in my throat formulated. And I thought, I, I failed AA. I failed you people. You had so much faith in me, and I couldn't do this. So, And I didn't want to cry in front of all those strangers. And I went back up to take this picture. I said, I'm mean, going to have to come back some other time. And the lady says, what are you talking about, honey? And I said, I got a D on my test. And she says, no, you got a 98%. You were on computer D. LAUGHTER I got my license and I practiced for many years. <laughs> my higher power has a lot of humor. <laughs> and my 24-hour coin, it has a camel on it because that's AA mascot. You can go 24 hours without a drink. It's pretty cool when you first come in and you know, that camel on there, you know? Um, But camels aren't very cute, are they? And I think I need a new mascot. And I saw a show, new show, new lesson. It was about the koala. <laughs> the word koala is an aborigine word, and it means I don't drink. I want to be the koala today. You know, I don't drink. And, um, there's anyone here who took the time to add up how old I am by 1957, I had 10,609 days sober today. But I don't want to stand up here and just count my time. I want my time to count. It's been an honor and a privilege to be here tonight and share a little piece of myself with you. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous has been good to me. Those two kids that I traded away, they made me take them back. And I've had opportunities to take them to these meetings. And I took my daughter to see this man who had 10 years off heroin, and he was a pastor, and he shared his story. And my daughter got in the car, and she says, you know, I can't ever see that guy doing that. And I said, I know, and not that an evil recovery can do? This is a little girl who saw me sick, nursing misses on my arms, watching me take drink after drink, holding my head up in the toilet. She says, Mom, if I didn't know better, I couldn't see you doing it either. That's the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. And working my steps, that um, that woman who left me abandoned in that house, I speak to once a month. And if that isn't a miracle in Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't know what is. It's given me the ability to have a mom back, don't trust, don't love, but I got through that. I was able to get past that and love a mother that couldn't love me. in those defects that I hang on to even today. Because I I try to hide that. I try to hide I'm a little quirky, (laughs) you know. Uh, But um, in that, there's another story for you that I, this is my toolbox. I don't know if you know what a toolbox is. This is my toolbox because I tell stories. That's how I learn. And how I learned to pick up a tool and use it was another story about a tribe in Africa who was overrun by monkeys. And a traveling salesman went by this tribe and says, I can help you get rid of those monkeys. Because they they were too fast for the hunters. They wrecked all their food, wrecked their huts. And he says, I can help you get rid of that. And so he went and got some gourds and he drilled a hole in the gourd, and he put some nuts, some fruit in the inside that gourd, sent it out in the middle of the village, and down came the monkeys, stuck their hand in that gourd, went to pull it out, and couldn't get their hand out of that gourd, and they would not let go. So they were able to capture those monkeys and move them out of the village. And that, that for me, if I'm hanging on to something, I've got my hand in a gourd, and I get to tell myself, get your hand out of that gourd, Cindy, you know, and it helps to visualize that for me. I love stories, and uh, it helps me learn the lessons that I need to learn. Thank you for letting me share my experience, strength, and hope with you tonight. It was wonderful to see each and every one of you, people who were very instrumental in my recovery. And I love my new sponsor. I just well up. So thank you for letting me share, and I'm gonna stop so you guys can go have some dessert. Thank you for letting me share.